Before we get started, I want to share an announcement. This episode will be our second to last show before an indefinite pause of this podcast. That's right. Uh, the Double Shift podcast will not be putting out regular shows in the short to medium term. This is sad for us, and we know this is probably disappointing or upsetting to you, our wonderful listeners. I know 2022 is really off to a roaring start. Uh, um, <laughs> oh God. But um, we are going to have a big conversation about what went into this decision and what's next for both of us and what will be happening with the double shift. Because, you know, I've always thought that the double shift is more than a podcast. It's much more of a larger conversation, and it's really part of a movement. Yes, and it's a community. Yes. And, you know, the podcast may not be in your feeds for a while, but the double shift is still going to be up to some really great stuff that we think you will all love. Um, and that's both for our members and our listeners and also fans of me and Catherine's written work. Yes, this is not a death. It is a reincarnation. Yes. And we'll share a lot more in our next episode. But in the meantime, please, please, please sign up for our newsletter. Go to thedoubleshift.com slash newsletter. Also, it's linked in the show notes, so we can stay in touch with you directly about important and exciting announcements and about what's coming up next. And also, do stay subscribed in your feed because we'll also keep sharing some important stuff there. Also, in the meantime, if the double shift has meant something to you personally or had an impact on your life, we would love to hear about it. You can send us an email or a voice memo recorded on your phone to askthedoubleshift at gmail.com. That's askthedoubleshift at gmail.com. And we might use it in our upcoming episode. And also, we would just love to hear from you during this season of transition. Yes. More soon. So now, on to the show. So... Remember, there was a hot second last year where, for many families, the public policy version of a knight in shining armor showed up. I felt so seen and validated when I opened up my bank account and that money was in there. It was like, oh my gosh, like the cavalry is here. Starting in July 2021, the expanded monthly child tax credit gave about 35 million American families up to $250 to $300 per kid, which many got delivered directly to their bank accounts every month. That's right. The child tax credit, aka the CTC, lifted around 3.5 million children out of poverty, and it helped so many families. Those families got what's likely to be their final monthly check on December 15th, 2021. Because the American Families Plan legislation that would have extended the program has stalled. The future of this support is uncertain, meaning families are likely to face a lot more financial precarity, along with material and psychological hardship. I have not gone to bed at a reasonable hour in a long time because I spend so many nights awake wondering, what do I do next? That's Christina Darling, a single mom to two kids. I'm trying really hard not to let them see how terrified I am constantly of finances. That $500 plus every month was such a huge help. 
Now I feel like I'm back to survival mode where everything is just, you know, I got $5 here. That $5 has to go into rent here. And I mean, it's, it's literally like trying to fit a watermelon through a lemon. It just doesn't, nothing computes. This is The Double Shift, and I'm your host, Katherine Goldstein. And I'm your co-host, Angela Garvez. And today's episode is a collaboration with the Better Life Lab at New America. So we're going to share Christina's powerful story about how much this brief policy impacted her whole life and her community, too. It's really inspiring. It's inspiring, but it also has the most dysfunctional American twist ever. Not to be a spoiler, just to be a teaser here. But before we get back to Christina, we want to share some voices of people who responded to a call we put out last summer asking moms how they plan to spend their brand new monthly CTC payments. You need childcare in order to take a job, but you can't pay for childcare until you have a job and you have income. It's like a chicken and the egg thing. And it's maddening. And what I'm hoping will happen is that we will be able to spend the, the tax credit toward some childcare for my youngest son so that I can do a job search and gain full-time employment and then have more income to spend toward childcare to put him in more care and have more money to pay for more childcare so I can work more and get my professional life on track. That was Katie Cashwell from Raleigh, North Carolina. And here's Milan Bowder of Orlando, Florida. She and her husband have been working full-time from home during the pandemic and caring for their young son. Our companies just never went back into the office, and so we've been home this whole time, just bouncing the baby back and forth between who has the call that can sustain screaming in the background the least, but it's no longer sustainable. So the child tax credit will help us to lessen the burden of having to pay for child care. But we also didn't want to skimp on just trying to find one of those daycare centers, the ones that barely meet their like state guidelines as far as like safety. Also, um, make sure that they're actually teaching him stuff there. Like, I don't want him to go to a daycare where he's just going to sit in a corner picking his nose all day. For Milan, that means paying more money for a Montessori program. And that's a program that is also run by women of color and has a lot of families from diverse backgrounds, which, as a Black woman with a biracial child, is really important to her. As we were researching and reporting this episode, we heard from dozens of people across the country, like Milan and Katie, with different income levels and professions, about how they were planning to use their CTC money. We heard a lot about catching up on bills and childcare costs. Putting it in educational savings accounts like 529s. And we also heard about nuances of quality of life and feeling like the invisible labor of caring for family during a global pandemic was actually just finally being acknowledged in some way. Yes, (laughs) I feel that. So, Angela, we have both had plenty of economic privilege that we are grateful for, and we did not face financial catastrophic situation during the pandemic. Yes. 
So how did you and your family spend your monthly child tax credit? Mostly we used it to save. We essentially live off of my husband's salary because of the nature of my work as a freelancer. And in the pandemic, that just meant that we were getting by. And, you know, again, no big catastrophe, but we're like kind of just getting by. So when that child tax credit came, we were able to just bank a few hundred dollars every month. And then we also could treat our family to a few little things. Like, I think I spent a fair amount of money on buying Noli books because she's just starting out reading. And, you know, the library is great, but I really liked as her mom being able to, like, take her to the bookstore and, like, browse and see her get really into books. And I didn't have to think twice about buying some books for her. And I was also really happy because, you know, I think the saving paid off because this winter, my husband, who never buys anything for himself, which is um, financially great for me, um, but also (laughs) sort of sad for him. Uh, He bought himself a new pair of skis Hmm. a couple of months ago. And that sort of him sort of making an investment in himself in that way made me realize that, you know, he's relaxing a little bit and that we we've done something in saving that money that allows us to have like a a little bit of pleasure or a little something extra. Hmm. Yeah. What about you? So we ended up spending it on some things that were around the kids, but also just really improved our quality of life as a family. We decided to sign our toddler twins up for these expensive survival swim classes. So they actually, like, learned how to swim. Uh And we're continuing to do, like, weekly classes with them. So now I'm actually feel like this coming summer, we can like do fun things around the water as a family without me Mm. just being terrified someone's going to drown. Yeah, yeah. So so that was like a skills thing and also an investment in my mental health. Right. And then the other thing was we actually got a gate for our backyard. So now our kids really can play in the backyard without us worrying about anyone running into the street. So as you can see a theme here. A lot of death prevention investments here. (laughs) Yeah. But our focus of today's show is really on two women for whom the CTC made a huge difference, not just for their bank accounts, but for their psychological well-being. And the first knows all too well what it's like to live on the financial edge. My name is Christina Darling, and I am a tenant service coordinator with NeighborWork Southern New Hampshire. Basically, I help provide services and resources for families that live in affordable housing, just like I do. That's Christina when we first spoke to her a few months ago in October 2021. Christina has two boys, ages 10 and 4, and things have always been tight financially for her family. She's been on and off different forms of public assistance and subsidies. And the pandemic introduced some new challenges, like rising food costs. You know, I went to the soup kitchen and I got the extra assistance where I could. That definitely helped. But then my car started having issues. It got to the point where I was honestly concerned every time I got in my car whether it was going to start. It had multiple things wrong with it. I knew that I was never going to, even if I could afford the fixes, it was just going to break more in a few months. So there was that initial panic of how do I get a new car when I have been living paycheck to paycheck for almost my kid's entire life. My favorite expense that most people don't realize is the damn winter jackets. 
it's insane for a four-year-old you're looking at you know 30 to 40 dollars my 10 year old it's usually closer to 50 to 60 dollars and the number of mittens you have to buy for kids is insane and i mean i always worry constantly i don't i don't remember the last time i wasn't at least a little worried about what comes next My older son, I don't have any clothes to just give him as hand-me-downs anymore. So we're making trips to Goodwill, you know, fairly regularly, just trying to stock up on things like pants because he just grew up a size and he has lost two hoodies already this year. School's only been in session for three weeks. He has ADHD. He loses things daily. It's just part of the process for him. And he would lose something. And in my mind, it would be, oh my God, that's $50. Like, how could you? And it, it took somebody looking at me and being like, he doesn't understand that. He has no idea what $50 means. He has no idea what you had to do to make that $50. And it's not his fault that your income is not higher. And I realized how many times I myself other people to their own children and my own family did to me where we push our frustration for our lower incomes on our children when it's not their fault. That's kind of a common issue in this country though. Our people get very, very angry and they don't get angry at the right people. You know, we spend so much time fighting each other and not fighting the ones who can make differences and make things better for us. I kind of equate living on this particular level of the poverty line where it's almost trauma-inducing because you spend all of this time constantly trying to think and plan for every possible scenario because if, God forbid, the one thing you did not plan for is what happens... You know, it's a giant juggling circus. And if you drop one ball, they all come down quick. When we talked to her in the fall of 2021, Christina was so happy to have the monthly CTC. The child tax credit, you know, and the stimulus checks that we got, it allowed me to get together a down payment for a vehicle. Bonus for me, I went from a 2006 Equinox to a 2016 Escape and my gas mileage, I am saving so much money right now in gas mileage compared to what I was. It, it matters. It's like counting pennies. I do need the extra money every single month just to make sure that my ends are meeting and hopefully even making it so I can save and get out of welfare entirely. You know, I, I love where I live. I love affordable housing and this opportunity to live here. But someday I want to own my own home. You know, and I, I work really hard every single day and I try to do everything I can as right as I can. And it feels like a kick in the face when you cannot seem to pull yourself out. Christina has been through a lot of financial struggles to try to get ahead. 
So I'm so happy to know that the CTC payments actually gave her a little bit of breathing room to occasionally treat herself to a massage or to go to a cultural event in her city. Yes, I love this. These are important aspects of our life that are like the first things to go when things get hard. I also love that Christina spent the money on another very crucial thing. There is a portion that I use to hire a babysitter and make it so that I can help somebody, you know, supplement their income while also very much taking care of myself. I I was not doing that for a long time. And I don't know how I made it the number of years I did without self-care, but I can say that as a parent and as a human being, I am a much better person now that I, you know, do take time for myself. And it's encouraged me to get more involved in my local community. So I'm now a, I'm officially a candidate for the Board of Education and I'm running a campaign and door knocking on the weekends. Things that I never thought that I would have the courage, the time or the money or the energy to do. It's funny how you can take just a couple hundred dollars a month and make dreams come true with it if you know how to do that and what resources to use and and you have the passion and commitment to want to. Angela, Christina is amazing. Yes. And she actually did run for school board on a platform of helping her community navigate COVID policies and supporting social-emotional learning and anti-bullying efforts. OMG, yes. Christina, we need more people like Christina in office doing public service. I love that. We'll hear about the results of the election and what happened to her after that later in the show. So Double Shifters, on this show, we've talked more than once about co-housing. With its common spaces and strong community, it offers kids freedom and independence to roam in a way that's pretty uncommon in childhood these days. And with loving neighbors invested in your kids' lives, so much of the burdens of parenting alone are taken off your shoulders. I'm personally really interested in co-housing as a solution to so much of what's difficult about family life in America. So I'm really excited about this advertiser, Cohousing ABQ. They own four acres of land along the beautiful Rio Grande, just minutes from downtown Albuquerque. The community already has 12 kids and many aunties and grandparents, and they've supported one another through COVID and before, creating a culture of trust, fun, and care. All they need to be complete is you. They're looking for members as they start construction, and this is your chance to start living a parenting life that's more balanced and aligned with your values. Go now and check it out at cohousingabq.org slash the double shift to sign up for an info session and learn more about how Cohousing ABQ can become your village. That's cohousingabq.org slash the double shift. And it's also linked in our show notes.
So one of my personal obsessions that I think so many families should consider is co-housing. Our episode, Don't Call Me Mom, Call Me Ted, was set in a co-housing community, and we've also talked about it in other episodes. With its common spaces and strong community, it offers kids freedom and independence to roam and connect with nature that is honestly hard to find these days, all with loving neighbors invested in your kids' lives. Right now, there's an opportunity to actually get in on a great community that's about to start construction. Co-housing ABQ owns four acres of land along the beautiful Rio Grande, just minutes from downtown Albuquerque. The community already has 12 kids and many aunties and grandparents, and they've supported one another through COVID and before, creating a culture of trust, fun, and care. All they need to be complete is you. Go to cohousingabq.org slash the double shift to check out their website and sign up for an info session. Honestly, browsing this website, this place looks really dreamy, and I'm not going to lie, it kind of makes me want to pick up and move to Albuquerque. So go check it out and learn more about how Cohousing ABQ can become your village. That's cohousingabq.org slash the double shift. It's also linked in our show notes. And we're back, talking about the expanded child tax credit. Something we wanted to know more about with the CTC was not just the financial impact, but the mental health impact for families as well. I spoke with Dr. Darby Saxby, an associate professor of psychology at the University of Southern California and director of the USC Center for the Changing Family. She believes living in a world of financial uncertainty is hugely destabilizing to people. You know, one thing we know from stress research is that the kinds of situations that tax the body and sort of stimulate the biological stress response are situations that are unstable, unpredictable, uncontrollable, where people feel a lack of autonomy. And poverty is sort of like a perfect storm of all of those situations at once kind of rolled into one. And the brain and body's response is to be hypervigilant, um, to sort of always be scanning the horizon for threat to never be able to let your guard down because you don't know kind of which shoe is going to drop next if you don't have that sort of buffer of, you know, the extra dollars in your savings account in case something breaks or a childcare situation pops up. And sort of over and over again, there are those kind of like repeated hits to the stress response system that we know sort of challenge the body by knocking it out of balance. Like that's sort of the stress response is something that throws our body out of balance that causes us to need to work harder to regulate back to baseline. And and that's what those sort of like repeated hits or challenges look like over time. Here we go on a little tax talk. Just a reminder about what was different about the 2021 child tax credit than previous years. So before 2021, the tax credit was $2,000 per kid and only went to people who earned enough money to pay federal income tax. And it was credited just once a year at tax time. So the new CTC covered a lot more people, low-income earners up to families making around 150 k a year. And the payment amount was expanded from $2,000 to up to $3,600 per kid. So 
Six months worth was paid monthly, and then six months will be paid when filing the 2021 tax return. And also, another important detail, it didn't impact anyone's eligibility for other social programs like Medicaid or food stamps. Okay, thank you. Thank you for walking me through that. (laughs) Um, And that's a very important point. Okay, so to sum up, more people eligible, more money, and for six months, set monthly payments rather than a lump sum. Exactly. You got it. That, that, those are the highlights. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> so let's go back to you talking to Dr. Saxby about the psychological impact of these monthly payments. So if, if the opposite of precarity is stability and regularity, like what are your thoughts on the psychological impact of monthly payments like CTC specifically? Yeah, I mean, I think that small sort of, or small or medium sort of like regular predictable payment schedule is more impactful than even like a lump sum, right? So actually having money arrive in your account on a regular basis allows you to kind of plan and cover unanticipated expenses. So the stability and ability to plan, I think as parents, the ability to plan for all parents is like a huge amount of peace of mind and stability. So the regularity of the monthly payments, what you're saying is, could sort of have a greater impact than purely just the amount of money. Mm-hmm, exactly. My name is Nidia Rivera. I have two kids, and my son is here, of course, because he has nothing better to do. <laughs> okay, ya casi hora de comer, okay? Tres un ratito. Nidia works as an administrative assistant at a nonprofit in Minnesota. Her husband is a metal worker, and his work is somewhat seasonal. So Nidia considers herself lower middle income. We talked to her in the summer of 2021. And the $550 monthly payments through CTC were making a big difference. For once, I can pay the bills ahead of time. You know, normally we would be sometimes two weeks into the month before we pay the house. And if you pay it at a certain date, maybe you have to pay the penalty and you get that on the next bill or whatever. So now my husband's like, have you paid the mortgage? And I said, yeah, I paid it because in July I paid it at the beginning for that month and two weeks later for the next month. And he wasn't seeing it in August because I had paid it early because we never do that. So he was like concerned that we were going to have to pay a penalty. And I said, no, I paid it already. And it's, it's rare that we are ahead. Like last month, I was even looking for bills to pay. I was like, okay, I'm, I'm up to date on the water, the electricity, the internet. I'm like, what else can I pay? And I didn't have anything else. So it's freeing to finally not be counting, you know, like if he has to send his mom money or his brother something and you're trying to balance what's in the account versus what has been paid and what what to send and what not to send. It's just this constant paranoia of being overdrafted, you know, and, and we don't have that right now. And it's, it's so weird not to be in that place. We have like. 1,100 or something like that in the bank right now as, as of savings. They always say you should have X percent of your income in savings. No, we never have that amount of money on savings. When, when are we, <laughs> when are we gonna, we're behind on paying for things. How are we gonna have savings for that? So, so it's nice to have that just in case, you know? So right now, because it's summer, my husband has been sent out of town to work and they pay him more when he's out of town. So he's been able to make more money than normal, but it's summer. 
once winter comes, we don't know when they lay him off because he works in roofing. So that's another uncertainty. Like once that time comes, then he may apply for unemployment, right? So then we're balancing that way smaller page. I mean, unemployment is like nothing compared to what he gets paid in the summer. So I think that also builds in a little bit of the saving the money now, you know, for winter when maybe we will go back to having to be behind on the bills. So right now I'm feeling good, but I think maybe I'm just traumatized and I'm just paranoid all the time that it's going to go back to to that, to that not having enough, you know. for people that have money all the time they don't understand what that is like to have to mentally think can I afford that right can I buy this right now for Christmas I was able to buy my kids gifts before when we used to visit family we bought them a outfit for Christmas and for New Year's right and now that it's a pandemic I don't feel compelled to do that but before it was like oh my god I have to spend this money on this outfit that they're just gonna wear like that one time that special day right where when else am I gonna put them in this dress it's very rare and it's not even like a fancy label right it's just like the target nice dress but still it's it's all those little things that I don't have to worry about So we checked in with Nydia a few weeks ago at the beginning of the first month that she wouldn't be getting the CTC. Um, things seemed, you know, somewhat stable. Her her job is steady, and they had tried to save up as much as possible over the summer, knowing that her husband's work, like, wouldn't be as reliable in the winter. Yeah. And the stimulus money, plus savings on food when schools gave free food deliveries, and state food supports from earlier in the pandemic— helped her buy a new furnace and air conditioning combo unit. So their AC hadn't worked for two years, and the old furnace had been really inefficient, and so their heating costs were just, like, through the roof during Minnesota winters, and so now they'll be a lot lower. Yeah, so it's important to highlight here, just like Christina having a more fuel-efficient car— It's not only about being able to count on a heating unit or a car to do the job it's supposed to do. Right. It's also about knowing that you're not going to have to pay so much extra each Mm -hmm. month because, you know, your car or furnace is, like, so decrepit. And that makes a big difference. Also, of course, on the environment as well. Mm -hmm. So even though Nydia was feeling okay about those monthly CTC payments being gone— She is missing that cushion it provided her for some of life's never-ending curveballs. In early January, when we spoke to her, not only was Nydia's husband not working much because of the seasonality of his work, he wasn't working at all. After the New Year, so on on Sunday, Sunday the 2nd, he felt a scratchy throat and he was going to go take the test. But when you look at the websites, it's so far out. I could schedule him for Wednesday. Like, it's it's just so backed up. After so waiting several days for test results, of course, Nydia's husband had COVID. Ugh. <laughs> this is, like, such a 2022 update. I know. <laughs> um, fortunately, Nydia says her husband was vaccinated and started to feel better about a week after that scratchy throat but he gets paid weekly, and there was no paycheck for him for the week he was out due to COVID. I mean, 
this whole situation. So the potential for extra medical costs and work disruptions, this is exactly what a cushion like the CTC could buffer against, you know, without getting behind on bills. And also, by the way, Nydia says she knows she will also have to start paying off her student loans again soon. Right. It is so hard to get ahead. And also, if we keep extending the deadline, um, could we just go ahead and eliminate student debt already? Yes. I mean, just what asking. are we waiting for? <laughs> um, the ending of the expanded CTC has really made Nydia angry. Mm. And... She's angry on behalf of moms, especially those who are making minimum wage, people she feels are much worse off than her, that they also won't be able to rely on the monthly CTC anymore. We hear you, Nydia. And I also really appreciate that Nydia's thinking goes beyond just her family. When we come back, an update from New Hampshire mom Christina Darling with a surprise twist you do not want to miss. So here's the January 22 update from Christina Darling, the single mom of two in New Hampshire who ran for school board in Nashua. And in case listeners have been living under a rock or <laughs> understandably tuning out the news for a while just in order to function, yes, <laughs> let me remind you, the school board positions are some of the hardest and most fraught civic service jobs right now. Things are so heated over masks, COVID, and other culture war issues. In her small city, the police would attend the school board meetings. Oh, my God. You know, civility, respect, no worries there. Alive Ugh. and well in American society. <sighs> so Christina ran for school board in this very intense environment. And here's how she described election night. You have all these people and they're yelling, you know, who has ward number this? Who has the numbers for this ward? And I mean, it's, I was just, my head was spinning and I'm watching my friend furiously taking notes of, you know, how many votes did each person get in each ward? And all of a sudden, she looks at me and she's like, you've got it. Your numbers are high enough. You've won. No. <laughs> Until I get the call, I can't believe that. Uh, two seconds later, I got the call that said, congratulations, you've been elected to the school board. And I'm not going to lie. Like, it was kind of one of those shocking moments where all of a sudden you realize, this is where I am in my life. How did I get here? Hmm. And a few days after her win... She got another surprise. Apparently it's paid. I thought it was a volunteer position. But no, it turned out the school board position pays $4,000 a year. Well, my first thought had been, how cool would it be to just put that money immediately into my kids' 529 college plans? You know, my kids' future and their education obviously matters to me. It made me run for school board. And then I found out through my case manager that that, that $4,000 was enough to put me over income, and I would have lost my child care scholarship and my housing voucher the minute I signed the paperwork accepting it. And I did the math, and like my child care would have gone from $20 a week to $275 a week. 
and my uh, housing would have gone from seven sixty a month to eighteen seventy five. And I realized that I wasn't going to survive. I would have had an eviction notice in my hand by February, and I would have been out by March, April, depending on how slow my landlord was. Oh, my God. Like, what in the actual fuck? I know. It's just so hard to process this twist because this unexpected pay increase was about to upend her entire life. This community service? I know. I know. So Christina didn't want to just give up the seat she just won. Of course not. Right, yeah, because she felt like it would have been unfair to the people who had voted for her and would cause just too much turmoil for the Board of Education. So Mm -hmm. she did look into actually waiving the money, just saying, don't give it to me. Wow. Um, But she says she was warned against doing that because it could look like some form of welfare fraud. This is, like, dystopian. Like, you can't make this up. You cannot make this stuff up. So after looking at all her options, Christina quit her full-time job to try to maintain her housing and childcare support and will have to get by on the small savings she's been able to put aside, plus money from a lower-paying internship, until she's able to get her youngest into kindergarten and won't have to pay for full-time childcare this September. I mean, the amount of, like, mental gymnastics that she has to go through to figure this out and quitting her job is the best option. Uh, I just, there's a lot going on for me right now. Um, But I will say that, you know, Christina hopes that at that point in September, she can cover the increase to her housing costs and can go back to working full time at her old job. It will mean picking up a second job, but... I'm also willing to claw myself out if that's what it really takes. Wow. So you decided to leave that job, and how are you making ends meet and and managing your employment and bills now? Well, unfortunately, the first thing I had to do was reapply for welfare benefits. And that that is the hard truth of, you know, having to play the, the get out of poverty game. And when you fill out those forms, it's horrible. Like, I felt like such a failure filling them out and being like, yep, not at my job anymore. Yes, I need food stamps. Wow. So just thinking about, like, how hard you've had to work to make these jigsaw pieces fit together that don't want to fit, like, that there's this sort of, like, you want to invest so much in your community and by being on the board of education, but like our system punishes you basically for taking on something new and earning more money. Do you think about like, why does it have to be this hard? Like, why is it there's so much work going into just maintaining the sort of basic things you need, even though you're, you know, you're working really hard, you're taking care of your kids, you're doing this stuff for your community, like, but there's all this extra to make it work. Like, how do you think about that? So I can't tell you the number of times that I have been on the phone crying to my grandmother and saying, how is it that I am working 50 plus hours a week and I can't pay my bills without help? How is that? If you're doing the work, you should be able to get out and have, you know, the white picket fence that we're all told we could have. 
So that's going to be my life goal is I am going to do everything I can to make it so that other families like me aren't stuck in this position. Christina's already thinking about a run for state representative down the road to help working and low-income families like hers. And she wants to reform these benefits cliffs that she feels keep families in poverty. And all of these financial struggles have just motivated her even more to want to make change. So, Angela, I know we both have a lot of feelings about Christina's story, so I'd love to just get some of your first reactions. Yeah, um, I I don't really like to lead with this emotion, but it's me, and I have issues with this. But, you know, it makes me angry. (laughs) Like, it makes me really angry because I believe that poverty is is a condition that humans have created. And no one should live in it. No one should have to live in it. We invented money. You know, we invented this idea that some people um, who have money deserve it more than, like, poor people. And that's just not true. And so, you know, what she just said about, like, why she would run want to run for a state representative, these changes that she would want to make, you know, the American system is set up so that it's really hard to get out of poverty, Right. And here's someone who's trying to make change in their life, both for themselves and for their community. And they're essentially being punished for it, you know, financially. And to me, that is the most American of stories. You Mm. work hard and you take initiative, which is all the things you're supposed to do. You're asked to do something powerful, you know, step into your power, be a strong individual. Again, all of this, the myth of American individualism and strength and pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, right? And so Christina is in the situation where she's making slightly more money, and that means she's going to lose benefits, and suddenly she's just thrown into a tornado of financial chaos. And yeah, it's wrong. Yeah. And it makes me mad. Yeah. And I just like someone like Christina, who is so powerful, has so much initiative, has so much to give to the world, like, I keep thinking, like, what could she accomplish and help the world with if she didn't have to spend so much energy jumping through all of these hoops. Yeah. I mean, I think that about Christina, and I think that about so many other people and so many other women in this country. You know, there's this idea that some people are getting something they shouldn't, right? And that it's a total zero-sum game. Like, if you earn, like, they earn too much money, so they don't deserve extra help, you know, even if they live in a really expensive part of the country, or they are somehow other, or they don't work hard enough, so they don't deserve help. And this is totally, like, we say this about, like, lazy Black people, uh, Mexican immigrants, right? Like, that's 100% a narrative that still exists in this country. And it's terrible. Yeah. And I think it just shows that there needs to be messaging and, like, a cultural shift that the government can and should help families, like, Mm -hmm. in many financial ways. Like, we have to rewire our brains as Americans Mm -hmm. to accept this idea. And they do it in all industrialized nations. Like, we— Yes, this is not uncommon around the world. Like, we haven't, as a society, had enough time to adjust to the radical idea that having kids shouldn't be so miserably hard. Right. And bankrupting and, yeah. And 
there's actually things that people in power can do to make it better. Like, it is possible to make it better. We don't have to live Mm -hmm. under so much hardship and stress. And that everyone deserves that. So, I mean, if we can see something in this, this, like, glimmer of hope, we had it. We had it for a minute, right? Like, the things that people are saying they need are getting through. So there was definitely some real tangible good that came out of this short-term program. We heard it from Christina. We heard it from Nydia, which makes it so heartbreaking that its future is in limbo. Yeah. I mean, it's really frustrating that we don't know if CTC will continue, but I, I hope that this brief experience can just help more Americans, like, think and just dream bigger about what the government's responsibility is to families. So, as we said at the top of the show, our next episode will be our last one before an indefinite pause. I'm just going to sigh. Much more coming on this development, and we really want to explain that to you and talk about why we're doing this. But if the double shift has meant something to you, and I I know that it has for a lot of you, um, and if it's had an impact on your life, we would love to hear about it. Please send us an email or a voice memo recorded on your phone to askthedoubleshift at gmail.com, and we may use it in our upcoming episode. And also do stay subscribed to this feed as we may be sharing updates here. And be sure you are signed up for our newsletter. Yes, this is the most important and really the best way to stay in touch with us right now. Go to thedoubleshift.com slash newsletter, and that's also linked in the show notes. This episode was a collaboration between The Double Shift and The Better Life Lab at New America. The Double Shift is created and hosted by me, Catherine Goldstein. Our co-host is Angela Garbez. Our senior producer is Rachel McCarthy. Our producer is Olivia Richardson. Our editor is Anita Rao. Our research assistant is Jada Hester. Music is by Travis Morrison and Blue Dot Sessions. Our theme song is by Palehound. Our mixer is Corey Schreffel. Special thanks to Haley Swenson and Cassie Robertson at New America and all of the double shifters that shared their stories for this episode. We are funded in part by the generous support of Acton Family Giving and you, our members. We are independently produced and distributed. Thanks for being part of the double shift. Double shift.